it is an extraordinary career that we both had. And the only thing is, I would say, is when do we stop moving upwards and when do we just start to relax and be just Mr. and Mrs. Wesley, really? Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honour and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello, a very warm welcome to both new and regular listeners of the Medical Women podcast. This week, I have two guests who have both had very successful careers, and they just so happen to be husband and wife. Dame Claire Gerarda is a GP previous chair of the Royal College of GPs, director of the Practitioner Health Programme, which she's just stepped down from as she's the current president of the Royal College of GPs. Claire is the first current Royal College president we've had on the podcast. She's also a past honorary secretary of the Medical Women's Federation. Our other guest is her husband, Professor Sir Simon Wesley, who's a psychiatrist, immediate past president of the Royal Society of Medicine, past president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists. And I think his most important achievement is that he's the first man to have been made an honorary male member of the MWF in autumn 2019. So together, Claire and Simon have a breadth of experience in medicine and in being presidents of various different organizations. So I had the honor and joy of speaking to them both to hear about how they juggled both of their careers and their words of wisdom for all of us. I hope you find it a very interesting and enjoyable listen. So I'm delighted today to have with me Dame Claire Gerarda and Professor Sir Simon Wesley. Um, I don't think you, uh, either of you really need an introduction, but I'm going to ask you both to just introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about your careers. Um, Claire, do you want to go first? I'm uh, Claire Gerarda. I'm a general practitioner and also trained as a psychiatrist. Uh, I've now been a GP for 31 years and a doctor for coming up for 40 years, so a long time. Uh, and I'm married to Simon Wesley. I think you're supposed to say a little bit more than that, Clara, but I agree. Oh, what else am I meant to say? I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a polyglot. I do an awful lot of different things as I'm a generalist. So over the years, I've run a drug misuse service. I've been clinical director of National Clinical Government Support Team. I've been a government advisor into standards. I've run the practitioner health program. I currently lead a gambling service. I chair a charity, Doctors in Distress. I'm a non-executive of an independent uh, mental health organization called Signet Health. And uh, I'm a clinician. I'm a GP, a mother and a wife. And you're president of the Royal College of GPs. Oh, yeah, and I forgot. I'm president of the Royal College of GPs. <laughs> um, and you were previously honorary secretary of the Medical Women's Federation. I was, years ago, yes. Which is uh, when I first met you. So I was a foundation doctor that went to my first MWF conference. Claire was the honorary secretary. Uh, Professor Dave Parveen Kumar was the president. And I remember getting there and... I knew nobody was quite nervous and Claire and Parveen just came up to me and started chatting to me and all I could think was it's Claire Gerarda and it's Parveen Kumar and they're speaking to me I was very I was very starstruck um but I've met both of you several times since then and I've managed to get a few more words out than I did that first time and I do remember you and you were incredible it was at a conference and 
you know, you are, you were, you still are the next generation to take forward the leadership roles. And I think we recognise that in you. Thank you, Claire. Simon, can you tell us um, a bit about you and your career? Yeah, well, the first thing to say, interesting enough, is that I, I like watching football live. And I mentioned that because if you go to football games, they have this trick um, on the advertising. It looks like a small dog is wandering around the ground. Uh, you would know that if, you, if you'd ever watched live football. That's what you've just seen behind Claire. She hasn't noticed it. But you, there's a dog that's wandered right to left and then left to right, which is our dog. So I'm the third person in this family um, after, after my wife and after uh, Lucy the dog. So I'm also a psychiatrist. I'm also academic and epidemiologist, which I no longer have to explain what it is. Um, I've also had the privilege of leading my professional psychiatry at the Royal College for three years, and then the Royal Society of Medicine. And I'm currently back as a, a senior academic at uh, King's College London. So I'm mainly, mainly a researcher. Um, I'm also um, do teaching, and unfortunately, I'm now drowning in administration. So, but I was also very proud to be one of the first um, men to be elected as a, a fellow of the Medical Women's Federation, which uh, was a great privilege. And I talk about it a lot. Wonderful. And I guess you know both of you have like you've you've said there that you've both done various different things with with your careers and I think what's interesting is that you know this is this is the first time that we've had um a husband and wife on the podcast and both of you have had really interesting and successful careers how have you balanced both of your careers and bringing up children and a dog etc I've done it (laughs) Claire's answer is that she's done it all (laughs) Yes, um, I'll now give the truthful answer, which I think we've done it pretty badly. But uh, the dog somehow has survived 19 years and the kids remarkably have turned out incredibly well, which just goes to show that uh, who is it who wrote about good, good enough parenting, Claire? Who's the second? Winnicott. Bowlby. Winnicott. 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 We, we I think, was close to the line as good enough parenting as you could possibly be. And, um, but actually, I think perhaps one could say one does worry too much about those things. Um, because they've turned out really well, despite us, although neither of them are doing medicine because think, of us. I think there's also been a massive element of luck. We've had healthy children. Uh, so I think balancing uh, home life and children, you, if you've got healthy children, it's a lot easier. They were only ever at the weekends, which is good. Uh, the other thing is we are a fairly stable partnership. So we do understand each other's uh, pressure points and that if you're away at work, we spent an awful lot of money on childcare. And I have to say, we had Simon's parents who were incredible, who were who used to take the boys for two weeks a year, two separate weeks, which meant that we had respite. They'd come down at a moment's notice to help. I once, Simon was away once and we got burgled and I rang them up and they were literally on the next train. And that's, you can't do it alone. You really can't. You need a lot of luck. You need a lot of support. And sadly, you also need resource, money, in order to pay for childcare. And also, we, we were good at holidays. So we were rubbish during yeah. the working week, but we did put money into holidays where we did holidays where we couldn't work. So we, and the dog is now doing its parade again, which is lovely. Um, where it was but important. you were good at holidays, Simon. Well, you, we you, did, I remember we both very were. early we on, you said we need to take time off and have good holidays. And we did. Mm. And I think that was 
really saving. So we used to go on really long holiday. I mean, not long in terms of long time, but long space. So like to New Zealand. So. Well, we, we chose holidays where we couldn't work, where either there was deliberately no Wi-Fi or you're either skiing or cycling and you were just too exhausted uh, to do any work in the evening. So that was the main thing that we just, we tried a Gilles holiday once and we both worked. So we never repeated that. So we, we, we put the, the symbols of danger, laptops and mobiles, stopped working or we were too exhausted to use them so i think yeah so i think that helps so we have good times we taught them to play bridge and read books and play games and all sorts of things which we wouldn't have done if we'd um, you know been working i think i think that's helpful because um as you say otherwise we just it's unless you actually book that time off where there isn't wi-fi or you are busy cycling or skiing it's so easy mm. to just oh I'll just check that email and I'll just do this and then you end up just spending that time that time mm. working well we would definitely have done that I mean there's no debate between us we would have done that so we had to make it impossible yeah I think that's helpful um Claire I want to speak to you a bit about practitioner health because you've been you've been doing that for is it four, 14 years 14 um, years I stepped down on Friday um, and how, how did you like how did you go about setting it up in 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 the first yeah. place and how has it been over the past 14 years well the money for it so the resource came for it from two catastrophic events really very different catastrophic events which actually were which happened at more or less the same time but both took a decade afterwards to, to get the resource so the first catastrophic event was the murderous actions of Harold Shipman and the recommendations that came out of that, uh, one of the recommendations was the establishment of a confidential service for doctors with addiction problems. And the other catastrophic event which happened at the same time as the inquiry was the death through suicide of Daksha Empson, who's a young psychiatrist who also killed her three-month-old baby. And the inquiry into that also flagged up the need for an independent confidential mental health service for doctors. So those two events, a decade later, the resources were found. Now, I applied uh, because at the time I was interested in the homeless, care of the homeless. I was interested in care of addicts and I was in interested in the care of the mentally ill. And doctors seemed to fill all three of them. And I applied and didn't really expect to get it because the, the natural people to get it would have been a secondary care trust. But I put together a bid leading an integrated service and, and got it and was over the moon in 2008 and have been leading it ever since. Um, and as you said, you just stepped down on Friday from leading it. And I was um, delighted to be able to come on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation to, to the event celebrating everything that, that you've done um, over the last 14 years. Um, it, it's incredible the number of, of doctors that practitioner health has, has helped and how many of them have been able to go back into practicing medicine because, because of practitioner health. Well, we started, and I said this at the talk, actually, patients one to five were all Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse as we tested the system. So patient one was actually patient six. And I can remember this patient arriving. And I was really chuffed that anybody would, honour us and trust us enough to come over the threshold that was in 2008 in November 2008 and we've now got over nearly 17,000 patients we started with a team of five we've now got 300 so doctors have come if you build it they will come but the other glorious thing is they get better now 
two thirds of the patients that were off work when they come return to work. And Simon reminds me that's the size of a medical school intake every year that we get back to work, which is pretty spectacular. I'm hoping we don't get them back to work just to be shot down again, but at least we get them back to work. Yeah, as you say, uh, a medical school worth of uh, worth going going back to work is is incredible. I mean, a few more. I don't really like stats, but they are important stats. We have the largest cohort of doctors with bipolar disorder, I think, in any service ever, anywhere in the world. So we can start to make we can start to talk about the epidemiology and the natural history of doctors with bipolar, and we know that that vast majority two-thirds of them are able to work certainly in our service so you know we, we can only look at our sample i mean it is a great achievement i have to say having watched and looked at what we've achieved over the last 15 14 years even in fact the largest service in the world the more most bipolar disorders in a single service in the world i think is actually the largest number of addicted doctors in a single cohort as well and I think we have transformed the ways doctors are managed, not just managed treatment wise, but are regulated because we've had constant discussions with the regulators since day one. And from starting off, but every doctor who transgressed needs to be punished. We now have a much more humane way of managing mentally ill doctors. So I am very, very proud of the achievement of practitioner health. Probably, probably the, one of the proudest things I've ever done. And you know, I like how you said, if you build it, they will come. And clearly lots of people have come. Um, and as doctors, I think we're, we're not always very good at recognising that sometimes we need to step over the threshold and be a patient. Nope. And I think I'm on my, I am my own worst enemy. When I broke my foot, uh, I found it very difficult to access care. First of all, sidelined by not going to a doctor, then use my married name to try and pretend I wasn't, you know, because I didn't want them to recognise me. And it wasn't finally till I was in so much pain that I went to see somebody properly, you know, as one should, and be sat down and have a proper story taken. And that is with a non-stigmatising illness. So we're not, I think the next generation are slightly diff different uh, in that they find it a lot easier, but certainly my generation, and I certainly think Simon, my other half, is not e an easy patient either. I mean, you don't like going to the doctors, do you, Simon? Um, no, not 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 really. No, I don't. Which I think so is normal. I don't think time. anybody likes going to the doctor. Mm. Well, I noticed Claire much. said that our children were only ill at weekends. What she meant was we only allowed them to be ill at weekends. <laughs> So in the week there wasn't, you know, they would they would have to be close to death's door that we would have taken any notice of, uh, you know, whatever was going on. So they were allowed to be at weekends sometimes, but uh, but on Monday they had to be better. They had to be better. In fact, I do remember when Alex, our eldest, he had this cough, very bad cough, and he'd cough, 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 and then he'd vomit. And he went to school. We sent him to school all the time. Anyway, we got called by the. Uh, teacher because we thought he was a bit hysterical vomiting at the end of his cough and if I say to you he had a recurrent paroxysmal cough which ended in in a vomit it's barn door whooping cough so the teacher called us in called me in and she said I think you need to take your son to the doctor because I think he's got a whooping cough and lo and behold even though he'd been immunized he'd got a whooping cough with 
complete changes on his chest x-ray. And of course, we completely missed it because I just thought, oh, for God's sake, Alex, you're developing school refusal. And he'd lost weight. So he was, it was a time when children should be growing quite rapidly between the ages of seven and eight. And actually, over the course of, as we know, it's a 90-day illness, <laughs> over the course of the 90-day the illness, oh. which was a term, he'd lost weight, his clothes, his school clothes were falling off him. And uh, he had whooping cough. Now, what was really interesting, players, you reminded me then, let's go forward 35 years. I, I'm no longer in, in growing, I'm now receding. And I have a cough for about four to six months, getting worse and worse. And I finally, I get a little shadow on the chest x and I finally referred to the urgent chest care centre at Guy's. And, um, and I'm in the queue. And then when I'm called in, I walk in and the guy looks up and said, I was wondering who the person with whooping cough is outside in the <laughs> corridor. So it's you, is it? And then he looked at my name and he said, aren't you married to Claire Gerarda? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, he said, you'll have great fun with this one because she's missed whooping cough for the last six months. So it's amazing. You obviously have a CPD blind spot on whooping cough. I've forgotten all about the fact that Alex had it as well. Alex yes. had it. With, with the I believe the chess consultant has broken all confidence. He makes great fun at dinner parties telling the same story, which <laughs> we both agree is terribly amusing and actually ridiculously true. If you ask how do we survive, illness is not allowed in our household. But of course we are. We do get ill. I mean, as you've seen, the whooping cough scenario. Um, Simon, you said that it means a great deal to you that you were one of the first male um, honorary members of MWF. Um, and it would be lovely to hear a bit more about why why you think that's that's important and why, um, why, why it's important to you. Well, I think the, the, the prosaic answer is when I was head of department for psych med, psychological medicine, which was cash, I was for 10 years, um, we did set up a scheme. We were worried about the number of female academics who were having difficulties restarting their career after maternity leave. And, and indeed, some of them were not coming back to work. So, I mean, what we did was so basic, but I, all I can say in my defense is it was quite a few years ago. We looked at it and we identified three things. One was the, um, uh, when they came back, we would reduce their teaching and supervision load for a fixed period of time. We were at that point making a lot of money uh, getting overheads for grants so we actually had coffers we had some money in the bank which we don't have haven't had for a long long time but at that time we did and therefore we offered a sum of money for people to use whatever they wanted uh, particularly um, in my trade for example it was to speed up patient recruitment so we would give them you know 10 grand to bring in a research assistant to get recruitment back on board and we did stick with child-friendly um, meeting times which uh, um, wasn't the norm. So we did those three things. And after that, everybody came back to work and we got one of the King's Awards and it was part of Athena Swan. So I think it was actually for that program. But also I've always been surrounded by my, my closest collaborator in my research career was a nurse I met when I was a junior doctor at Queen Square called Trudy Chawder, who's now Professor Trudy Chawder and is the leading authority on cognitive therapy probably in the world, certainly in the UK. And she and I have been, you know, in research terms to, together, actually longer than, than I've known Claire, actually. I think it is longer, not by much, but it is. And so I've kind of always taken that for granted. And, and, and then, of course, 
um, living with Claire makes a, a big difference as well. Um, and so, I mean, Claire, I noticed to become anonymous uses my surname. I certainly wouldn't use her surname if I wanted to be anonymous. I'd just stick with my own. So we're working with a, you know, a more famous uh, uh, lady is, uh, is uh, also, you know, it's just a thing I kind of take for granted, I suppose, is a way of putting it. And if I didn't, I'd be made to take it for granted. So, so I think that's important. But I think it was looking at that specific issue um, and wondering why are we losing very, very promising early career researchers when we shouldn't be. And certainly after that, I, I don't know what the last figure is, but for a, at least a decade, every person on that lead, and we're a very big department, uh, came back to work. Wonderful. Um, so Simon just said there that um, that he gets asked if he's Claire Gerard's husband. But Claire, do you ever <laughs> do you ever get asked if you're if you're oh, if you're married to Simon Wesley? I do actually. I'm not sure. As, I do, but only in psychiatry. I'm not sure. I mean, Simon. I'm going to say I'm not sure you're you're as well known outside. <laughs> medicine as I am well I am in football circles Claire yeah, you are I'm football. teasing I'm teasing yeah so else I've never 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 called myself Mrs Wesley Simon is a sir before I was a dame if you really wanted to annoy me you called me Lady Wesley um, <laughs> I would never take the name that wasn't but I've, I've never been known as so, so I mean most people know us as a couple though don't they well I've met people who don't Claire it's uh and uh, again, when, when I joined the Academy of Medical Sciences, I know of Medical Royal Colleges to represent the college, it was about two months after Claire had stepped down. And I arrived when we were doing a group photo and um, I came on a bike, which is what Claire did. And I do remember two of the presidents, male presidents, uh, knowing I was a newbie, but not knowing who I was. And I was trying to look smart, but it's very difficult in a, in a uh, where he bikes and he said, oh, you're, you're another of these cycling doctors. I hope you're not going to be another Gerada, are you? And I said, oh, who's that then? And so they told me, and then until, until the presence of the Royal College GPs kicked their shins and told them to shut up. <laughs> so I remember that. But I'm proud to be married to Simon. I think it, it, it is an extraordinary career that we both had. And we are like the yin and the yang. We're both, it's like... The, it's the ebb and the flow one of us goes up and the other one sort of stays slightly and then the other one does this and we're constantly moving upwards and the, the only thing is I would say is when do we stop moving upwards and when do we just start to relax and be be just Mr and Mrs Wesley really <laughs> who knows is the answer to that question and the dog has returned to the screen <laughs> It never happens on Newsnight, does it? <laughs> no, but that, that that's why this is more exciting yeah. than Newsnight. She's been on every single podcast I've ever done. Has she? Yeah, oh, she's... we should we should hear from Lucy what she thinks. No, I'm amazed you haven't actually. But yes. Yeah, she's been very quietly listening, hasn't she? Mm. And so Claire, you've stepped down from leading practitioner health. What um I guess I guess being president of the Royal College of GPs is going to be taking up most of your time for the next for the 18 next months, months. yeah well it is I mean I still I run a charity doctors in distress which sole aim is to reduce the rate of suicide amongst all health professionals I lead a service called the primary care gambling service which is aiming to 
try and uh, break down the barriers and encourage people with gambling problems to come for treatment. I'm still the senior partner of my practice and I'm president of the Royal College of GPs. So I'm still kept busy. For the first time in my professional life, though, I have a bit of space in the diary. And I'm going to fill that space with learning to play bridge on a Monday morning. So I'm going to try desperately not to fill it. Uh, Literally, it's the first time in my life that I've had, first time in my professional life, I don't have triple appointments for every day. No, that's, I think that sounds, that sounds, that that sounds great. Um, And I can imagine Claire becoming very good at bridge and ending up being like the the chair of some sort of bridge association. Yeah, I've become, I've only been playing for three months, but I, I I won't show you my, uh, I play online and getting good scores. Actually, Claire's mother was the Mediterranean bridge champion, so it's clearly genetic. Oh wow! Okay, I've determined. Uh, I've determined to become good within two years. I'm, I'm sure you. I'm sure you will be, Claire. I know. Bridge players all over Britain are now kind of making for the hills and looking for other sports to take up. <laughs> Claire Gerarda is on on her way to be being bridge exactly. champion. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Um, and and Simon, you you said that you were you know, your previous president of the Royal Society of Medicine, and I watched a lot of the interviews that you were doing the in conversation series during during COVID. Um, they were really interesting, actually, very different topics. Um, yes. So they were they, they were really interesting. Um, particularly, there were quite a few on history, which I found really interesting. Um, but what have what have you got coming up over the next eighteen well, months? Our- are you also are you also learning bridge? No, I'm not. Um, no, I wish we've, got our hundredth, <laughs> we've got our hundredth um, webinar coming up. Um, doing it with Chris Whitty and uh, JVT and co um, in two weeks' time. And then on the interview schedule, we haven't, I think we're on 80 for that. Um, Simon Sharma is coming up and Nick Robinson I'm doing. I tend to do, uh, I tend to, I don't do them all at all now, obviously not, but uh, I do tend to gravitate towards historians. That's quite true because I think if I had my time again, I might have read history actually rather than medicine. And certainly it's what I read a lot about. And uh, I have written some history papers. So quite, no one's ever read them, obviously, but I'm quite proud of them. I've done the opposite. Well, I've done the same as Claire. Is that my life is going to also get pissed a different way. But unfortunately from next week, I'm going to be the Dean of the Institute of Psychiatry for the next year covering uh, a leave of absence must we look for a new dean so i'm going to die in the world of university bureaucracy for 12 months but i i feel a kind of sense of duty really because i've been at king's for so long um and there is a need for someone to, to do this role for a year so i've agreed to do it so i will be very <laughs> any chance of running down has, has kind of gone the other direction for 12 months, but it is only for 12 months. And then we can retire together, can't we, Simon, at the end of two years? Mm, we'll see. And you're 67 <laughs> and I'll be 64. I, I don't pretend that I'm going to do that. You pretend that you're going to do that, but absolutely nobody on the planet believes you. <laughs> so I don't even bother pretending. And, um, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine retiring I think you'll I think you'll you'll always find something something to do yeah I think that's right I rest my case I think it's important that we also take time out for ourselves because as you get older your your the life 
you know, you've got shorter and shorter left ahead of you and things to enjoy, which is in all honesty why I want to become good at bridge. I don't want to become the world champion, but I want to be able to go to any, <laughs> any bridge club in the world and just pick up a hand and play. And play. Thank you. You know, all the alternative is is constantly working. Now, you know, course working adds value, but I think uh, I think there is time as well to do both. And giving up practitioner health is is a real it's a real milestone for me, to be honest. And it took a year to leave. I mean, you know, I, I my successors have had a year to take over. Yeah, I can imagine you you've got a lot of mixed emotions about about handing handing it over because you've done it for, for so long and so well thank you so i've just got some quick fire questions for both of you mm-hmm. now. um i'm so, sorry what his favorite book is yes well, was, that's exactly uh, think, what i'm about to ask i, mean, I think, Nith- think nithana asked the questions uh, not not you claire <laughs> no that's 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 fine i'm happy for for claire to, to ask the question <laughs> <laughs> no 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 don't let's get away with that you're asking questions we'll okay. give the is answers. there is there a book that you can both recommend for our listeners to read or the best book you'll ever get if you want to understand why doctors struggle so much beneath the white coat doctors their minds and mental health (laughs) edited by the wonderful claire gerada and all proceeds to charity Okay. I, I think, like I think to... that's a good book recommendation. Um, and Simon, what's your book recommendation? Well, I, I would like to put up my, my, my non-best-selling book uh, called The Randomised Control Trial, which has sold about 20 copies, but I won't do that. Um, what am I reading at the moment? Um, I'm reading a new history of the Spanish Civil War, the International Brigades. I love history books, I've just said, but I don't think any of you are going to read that. Um, what's the other book I've been reading recently, Claire? Um, Survivors? Well, the book about no, childhood Holocaust survivors. That was yes, fun. that's true. New, a new, yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I do read quite a lot of history books, it must be said. Um, and uh, what else? What am I? I, I'm going to collect some books together. To, oh, and the new, I also do have a passion for spy thrillers, and there's a new McHeron coming out. So I'll be taking that on holiday when we go skiing. I, I love the new generation of, of writers who've taken over from McCarry. So McHeron is, is uh, if you like that kind of thing, this is the kind of thing you will like. Great, lots of... Yeah, I'm very practical. Mine are my book and Ackle. Here's a, <laughs> a you know, spy thrillers and history. Yep, well, you never know when either will come in handy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah, a History that's and a nice spies, you know, books. you might think that that's all historical, but, uh, you know, look, look what's happening in Europe at the moment and the knowledge of history and probably knowledge of espionage, bad behaviour and general skullduggery um, is perhaps not not quite as distant as we think. I know. Yeah. Um, my next question is, is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known earlier on in your careers? Well, the, what I tell students is never to accept a police caution. So if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or, or anything like that, don't accept police cautions when you're students because it'll hang around your neck forever. So I'm not saying whether or not that's relevant to me, that's, but uh, I, I, do think, I, do, I do say that to, to medical students. What do I wish now? I think it's a difficult question to say, really, because it means you would change. I'll tell you what, I mean, I would have loved a third child and didn't have one because I was uh, 
I was I got a very early menopause. So I wish I knew that I should have had one earlier, so to speak. Uh, I wish I if I was to change anything in my career, anything, anything, I would have carved out half a day a week just for me or the children when they were little. But I think I'm very envious of my friends who've always had sort of, example, Tuesday afternoon off or Friday off, or who've then gone on to learn to play tennis or do swimming lessons or pick the children up and had long tea parties. So I think what I would always say, you, you cannot succeed as a woman unless you work hard. There is no shortcut. And, and I'm sad to say this. I think a, a lot of people think that you can easily do both. You can't easily do both. But I think... I could have taken a half day off a week. I think I could have, and I wish I had, but it's too late now. I'm just about to start to take a half day off a week, so there you are. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you're starting that, and I'm sure that that you'll do really well at a bridge, Claire. <laughs> um, you'll have to come and you'll have to come and, and teach us at the next MWF conference. We'll have a bridge session with with Claire Gerard. I think that would be really fun. Um, my next question is, um, have you ever been given any advice that's been really helpful that you would wish to pass on to other people? I'll tell you what my partner at work told me, Arvin Madden, who's fabulous. He said three things, okay, three things if you want to succeed. You have to work hard, but don't expect anybody to notice. You have to be kind and just constantly be kind. And the third one is always look to the next job. That doesn't mean don't put into the work that you've the job at the moment but always look to the next step always look at the jobs in the job section so that's the advice I'll pass on and the fourth one which is the one I come to which is is say yes and work it out afterwards I think far too many people balance and say well what if what if what if shall I shall I not and actually if it's if you're being asked something by somebody who you trust just say yes and work it out it's not that big a risk um when I took over as head of department, my previous boss, Robin Murray, uh, warned me that the job was basically a very well-paid HR officer. And then he said, the only thing I'll tell you is uh, when in doubt, grovel. So I've always found that very, very, very useful. When someone rings you up or sends you an aggressive email or something, just grovel and it'll probably go away. Thank you. I think um, both of what, what both of you have shared is really helpful. My <laughs> last quick fire question is a question that I'm borrowing from a group of children and young people that work with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. And they asked this question last year when they were interviewing uh, people that were applying for the role of president. Um, and I thought it was a brilliant question. So I asked them if I could borrow it and they very kindly said yes. So the question is, if you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be and why? <laughs> Oh, Claire, you start. I think I'll be Garibaldi. Well, I was going to say that. <laughs> I love, I love eating the uh, the fries in between. I love it, and uh, and also they're thin, and they've got such sweetness to them. So I think I'd be a Garibaldi. I tell you what, Simon would be. Simon, you would be a, uh, you'd be one of those lovely chocolate biscuits with what do you call them? The digestive chocolate digestive because you're smooth and cuddly. And you, you you have this sweetness about you. So that's what you'll be. Well, I think that sums it up. Claire has told you the answers for both of us. <laughs> that, that's well, how Simon, you can you can choose a you can choose a biscuit that you think Claire would be. Okay, no, I would 
I would say Garibaldi, because I always choose what Claire chooses. It's easier that way. The second, because actually Garibaldi was a very interesting person in history. And I would like to, if I can be named after anyone in history, Garibaldi is as good a person as it could be. Why is the biscuit called the Garibaldi biscuit then? Well, now that <laughs> he was the leader of the, well, he was one of the three people who led Italian independence. He saw Gimento. But why did they uh, name a biscuit after him? I have no idea. I think because oh. they make biscuits in Italy and he's a very famous person who they wanted to honour. I don't know. There must be another reason, actually, but that's as good a reason as any. Good. Wonderful. I'm going to say thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, Claire and Simon, for Thanks taking the time to speak to us. Bye-bye, then. Thank you for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Ms. Kithki Bankram. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again soon.